And I want to read a section here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. We've been talking about questions that are really surrounding this aspect of our relationship to the law in the New Testament. My initial thoughts were to talk about the law of Christ uh, tonight, but I got a few questions, good questions, that came from people that are trying to kind of wrap their minds around all this. And I thought it would be good if I would answer at least one of these. And as we go through the book of Galatians, I'm sure that I will answer others and maybe even generate a few questions. But tonight I want to talk about this fact, that if we're not under the law, then what about obedience? If we're not under the law, are we under the law? No. Then what about obedience? Are we to be obedient? And I want to answer this in basically three little notes, but I want to give some introduction here. And in Galatians 3 and verse 15, Paul writes, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now note verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to who? Abraham and his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, which is Christ. So let's just pause here. Abraham received the promises. Would you agree with that? And those promises were given to his seed, singular. That is Christ. And we read in our New Testament that all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. And so what was given to Abraham, now follow this, was promises. Did Abraham believe the promises? He did believe the promises. And on the basis of belief in those promises, specifically in the person who gave the promise, he was justified. Okay, now here's a simple question. Mosaic law. Was it around when Abraham received the promises? No. It was not around. So Abraham received a covenant. That covenant was received by promises. He believed the person who gave the promises was able to do what he had promised to do. And he was justified by that. Now, let's continue reading verse 17. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. In other words, when the law came, 
Did it set aside the Abrahamic covenant? No, it did not. Verse 18. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise. Can everybody see that? So if the inheritance, if our future, being with God and God's people, the new heavens, new earth, all that is out there, if those promises are based on the law, then that means that the covenant to Abraham is no longer valid. But Abrahamic covenant is valid, isn't it? And so, if the inheritance is based on law, then it's no longer based on promise. But God granted it to Abraham by means of a what? Promise. He did not grant the inheritance to Abraham based on law. In other words, He didn't give him the Ten Commandments. He didn't give him any of that. He said, look to those stars. Your seed is going to be like that. And Abraham believed God. Genesis 15, verse 6. And it was imputed to him as what? As righteousness. Well, then the natural question is verse 19. Then why in the world did God give the law? (laughs) And that is a logical question, isn't it? So why did God give the law? Verse 19. It was added, note the word added, it was added because of transgressions. And Romans helps us with this. In other words, the law came to multiply the transgressions. Why would God want to do that? So that we, as hard-hearted, stubborn, sinful people, would know that we are sinful. So God gave the law knowing that we could not keep the law so that we would see what sin is, transgression of the law, and that the sin would become exceedingly sinful in our eyes. So it was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until... Do you see that in your Bible? Why then the law? It was added until. Until when? Until the seed, that is Christ, would come to whom the promise had been what? Had been made. So you have an Abrahamic covenant. Everybody following me? Abraham was justified by faith, apart from works, by God's grace. Okay, That Abrahamic covenant is in force. Now, if I had a blackboard up here, I could put the Abrahamic covenant way up here. Okay, And it's in force all the way until Christ came, to whom the promise was made. But then alongside, added to 430 years later, God gave the law. And that law was added until. Until what? 
until Christ came. Has Christ come? Yes. Then the law, as that Mosaic law was given, that covenant is no longer. What is the Abrahamic covenant? That covenant given to Abraham and to his seed, singular, Christ, so that Christ could fulfill all the promises and us believing in that seed, we too inherit the what? The promises in Christ Jesus. And then he says, verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is the law contrary to the Abrahamic covenant? The answer is what? No, may it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on what? But folks, the law can't give the life demanded in order to fulfill it. It's just a what? It's just a law. What we needed, the the problem wasn't the law. The law is holy, good, righteous. It's illustrative. It's prophetic. It teaches us something about the nature of God. But that alone can't give us what we need because it's not the law that is the problem. We are the problem. We have a sinful nature bound in sin. And Romans 7 says that when that law comes and people get really serious about obeying it, I mean, they say to themselves, you know what? The Bible says, I am not to covet. I am making... A rule. From now on, I know this is God's will. Is it God's will for me to covet? Answer, no. All right? I'm, go- I'm nailing it down right here. I'm walking the aisle. I'm coming to the altar. I'm making a vow to God. I'm not going to covet anymore. What do you think? <laughs> you're going to find out that your sinful nature is going to say, oh, you're not going to covet? We'll see about that. But the point of that is, is so that you would see that and that you would say to yourself, I need a Savior because I can't save myself. And so folks, all those promises, we are saved by the promises by the one who inherited the promise, Jesus Christ. And that law, look at verse 22 in Galatians 3, causes the Scripture. Is the law Scripture? It is Scripture. For the Scripture has shut up everyone. Whether you're a Jew and you have the written law, or whether you're a Gentile and you have the law, the work of the law written on your conscience. It has shut up everyone under sin. Why would God do that? So that the promise by what? Faith. In who? 
the seed, Jesus Christ, might be given. Gifted to who? Those who believe. Just like what man? Just like Abraham, right? Folks, God has always saved people this way. He has saved people by faith, by grace, in the promised seed. This is how God has always saved people. So someone may say to me, well, you know, what, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, we learned a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> that the law is prophetic. It points us to Christ. It takes us to Christ, doesn't it? And the law is wisdom. Why? Because the law brings the light of God, the light about Him, to fallen people. That's why Paul would say to Timothy, you know, you can use the law if you use it rightly. Now, the law's not made for what kind of man? A righteous man. Well, that means the law's made for all unrighteous people, right? Why? So that they will see. They will actually come to the place where they know that in themselves there is this evil that they need to be saved from. It's not just, I need to be saved from a few bad deeds. I need to be saved from what's in me, myself, and how I am against God. That is a huge revelation in the life of a human being, to really know that. And folks, that's one of the issues when it comes to our children. You know, our children accept light and they, they, they delight to operate and to own that light, but they don't always really have an understanding that they are sinful people. They know they do bad things because mom and dad have been telling them that from the day they were born. Okay? This is bad. This is a sin. You're a sinner. Yes, yes, yes. So if you ask them, are you a sinner? Yes. If you ask them, are you a bad person? No. Okay. But folks, you've got to know you're a bad person because you need to know what you're being saved from. You're not just being saved from a penalty. You're being saved from the source of it all. And that is our own sinful nature. <coughs> You know, sometimes when we think of <clears throat> salvation, and the Bible does do this, it speaks of salvation in terms of components. We could talk about redemption. Is that part of salvation? We could talk about adoption. Is that part of salvation? We could talk about glorification. We could talk about sanctification. Is that a part of salvation? We could talk about justification, right? We got all of these words that we talk about. We talk about election. We could talk about predestination. We could talk about a lot of terminology. But folks, when we're talking salvation, it is a whole package. And what I mean by that is, sometimes people will say, well, <clears throat> you know, I do get this. We're not saved by the law, meaning I'm not justified by the law. But folks, if you're not justified by the law, then you're not sanctified that way either. 
And you're not glorified that way either. And you're not redeemed that way either. We are redeemed, we're glorified, we're sanctified, we're justified all by His grace. Everything is to be to the praise of the glory of His what? Of His grace. And so Paul would write in Galatians 3, just, just follow this. He, has, he talks in Galatians all about justification. <clears throat> but he says, You foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? So let me just ask you that are born again. Did you receive the Spirit of God because you kept the law? No. No. How did you receive the Spirit of God? You received it by the hearing with faith. Okay? Verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the what? By the flesh? Does everybody hear what that's saying? Folks, we're saved, right? We're saved. We're justified by believing the promises about the seed. Jesus Christ. How are we sanctified? Well, we're sanctified by truth. Everybody agree with that? What truth? The truth about Jesus Christ. We look into pages of our Bible and we behold Him. And we are changed. Now I'll talk about this in just a few minutes about what our driving passion is to be. So folks, we are justified, sanctified. The whole thing is a package even though we talk about its components, right? And it's all salvation. The whole, and we use a southern phrase, the whole kit and caboodle is all by faith in Christ by His grace. Hallelujah for that. So let me just talk a little bit about this idea. Well, if I'm not under the law, then how does the New Testament handle obedience? Can the law illustrate things that I need to obey? The answer is yes. But folks, we got to start at this point. The very first thing that we need to understand is that it all begins with new life. New life. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. And my point really isn't to do an exposition. I just thought maybe we should pause in Galatians and do Romans 6, 7, and 8 all over again, okay? Where Paul talks about this. But I want you to note in Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life, everybody see that? The law of the Spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of what? Sin and death. Everybody see that? And we, we've gone through this, Romans chapter 7. We were in Adam. And upon our justification, we died. We were in a marriage. We were unioned in Adam. Then, when I believed, I died. And I was buried, and I was risen again to be married to another. That is who? Not Adam, but Christ Himself. So when Christ died, I died. Believers died. When Christ was buried, believers were buried. When Christ rose, believers rose with Him. Hallelujah for that. Okay? This law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now note the connection in verse 3. For what the law could not do. <coughs> Folks, in Romans 8, verses 2 and 3, what is the law connected with? Somebody said it. The law is connected with sin and death. Everybody see that? We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because of what the law could not do. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. See, the problem's us, right? God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took on humanity, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He put to death sin in the flesh. Verse 4, so that... Everybody see verse 4? So that the requirement of the law might be what? fulfilled in us. And I'll talk about the requirement of the law later on when we talk about the law of Christ. Folks, Christ did for us what we could not do ourselves. He died setting us free from the law. What do I mean? The law of sin and death. They're all connected. So that I could have the spirit of what? Life in me. I was dead in trespasses and sins, but now I live because of Him who has imputed to me His life along with righteousness. What a blessing that is. Because, folks, what it is, it's like a birth out of death. It's like Sarah's womb, dead. But God tells Sarah, I promise you, Sarah, you're going to have a birth. And out of the deadness of Sarah's womb, she brought forth who? Isaac. 
I'm dead in trespasses and sins. And by promise, I'm a child of promise. God sent His Word and brought about in my vessel a birth. He sent His Word. I believe that Word. There's regeneration. Life is given. It all starts with life. Because, folks, if you don't have life, then you don't have the ability and all you have is a bunch of right and wrongs that you're going to do to try to please God. Life is given. And that's exactly what John chapter 1, verse 13, John chapter 3, new birth, he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus didn't even understand this. You've got to be born from above. And Nicodemus says, well, how in the world can that happen? But what? You're, you're a religious leader in Israel? You don't understand that? That you've got to begin where? With a birth. And Jesus tries to explain that to him. Now, <clears throat> what is the main evidence that the New Testament gives to us as the evidence of a person who is now alive. I mean, if you're alive, you've been born, right? You're alive, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> what is that main evidence that life has been given? And the answer to that is... Love. Love. And I'm going to put a little word in front of it. We'll understand it when I talk about the law of Christ. Cruciform love. A love that looks and is shaped like the cross. That type of love. You could say sacrificial love. You could say Christ-like love. You could say cruciform love. <clears throat> it is the love of God. That is the evidence Let's, let me show you that. Turn in your Bible to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> and folks, remember it was John that said you had to be born from above, right? So here's the same John. And he writes in chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 7. Beloved, so he's speaking to people who are the children of God. They have been born from above. Beloved, <clears throat> let us love one another. Why? For love is from who? Now follow this. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everybody see that? Okay, now again, we're not talking about this romantic, worldly definition of love. We're talking about the love of God that's unique, holy, of Him, right? So what is that evidence? It is that cruciform love, and John says emphatically that we're to love one another. <clears throat> Why? Because this cruciform love is from God. 
Okay? And if we do that, we're giving evidence that we have been born of God. Verse 8, The one who does not love does not know God. Oh, how can you say that, John? Because God is what? God is love. Now, love is not God. That's the way the world defines it. But God is love. Just like God is holy. God is love. And folks, this is the way it worked. Verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live. Everybody see that? We might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's love, isn't it? That God would do that for sinful people. That is how He manifested His love. So verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, meaning in this manner, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Everybody see what he's saying there? Life, rebirth, the evidence that you are alive is that the love of God has been given to you. And you know that as you manifest that love one to to another in a local assembly. Now that doesn't exempt everybody else is out there, but he's just talking about this local assembly. Verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us. By what? That we have what? Love one to another And love for God, not that we love God first, but that He loved us first. Everybody following that? By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Why? Now, what would you expect John to write at this point? Folks, wouldn't you expect him to write something like this? By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His love. I mean, that's what He's been talking about, right? But He doesn't say that. What does He say? He's given us His Spirit because His Spirit is love. The very essence of His Spirit isn't the so-called spiritual gifts. The very essence of His Spirit is this cruciform love. The same love that was infinitely filled in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Again, if you go over to chapter 5 and look at verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God... And observe His what? His commandments. So you knew I'd get around to obedience eventually, right? In other words, folks, an expression at this point, an expression of cruciform love is the expression of genuine obedience. If the love of God is in me, there's going to be life in me. You agree with that? And the life that is within me is going to be motivating me to love other believers cruciformly and to obey His commandments. Everybody see that? Folks, love, genuine love, God-like love, has within that love a desire to obey, to submit to God. And we grow. Don't we grow in that love? Christ had it infinitely. He was the fullness of the Godhead was in Him bodily. But we grow in that love one to another. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? Why are they not grievous or burdensome? Because you love. (laughs) Folks, love takes away the burden of the commandment. And you folks, you know as parents, you know what it is. You could, you could tell your children, I, I want you to go wash the dishes. Don't use the dishwasher. You've got to do it by hand. You've got to find the liquid and you've got to have the drying power. You've got to have all that. Go, go do the dishes. All right. <clears throat> and the child goes, why do I have to go do the dishes? <sighs> this is terrible. Oh, you're saying that the commandment is a burden. But then you have a child and say, they, they, they just, as an expression of love, they say, sure. And they go over and they do the dishes and they're singing a hymn and they're praying and they're just having a great time while they're washing the dishes. What made the difference? Was it the dishes? <laughs> it wasn't the dishes. It was that one was not loving and one was loving. And folks, in a marriage, that, that gives the joy in the marriage. It's when you love one another with the love of God. And this is <clears throat> this love that we have. A love to God. How is it seen? I want to obey His commandments. I want to submit to Him. How is it seen one to another? We serve one another with that same cruciform love. 
and we love to be with one another. Now, folks, therefore, we can conclude this, that the life of God in the soul of man is the life of cruciform love. And folks, you know this. I'm going to jump ahead. What is the fulfillment of the law? What is it? Love. <laughs> it's love, isn't it? And God has given you, by new life, His Spirit, the Spirit of love, in your heart. Fulfilled the law. We're no longer under the law. We have the life, the love of God within us, love reflected to Him, love reflected around us. Oh, how we wish we loved more. But that love is there. And there's a delight in our inner man to obey. It's not always easy. We have the flesh, but it's still there. Underneath it all, I just want to please Him. Not to earn something, but because I love Him. He removes the burden of all this. So folks, being freed from being under the law doesn't negate obedience, but being free from being under the law and being under the law of the Spirit of life does liberate us to obey God, not to earn anything, but out of an expression of love for what Christ has done for us. And folks, wouldn't you say that's a world of difference between trying to earn or trying to twist to get God to do something versus growing in the grace and knowledge because you love Him and you want to be like Him and His beauty and His image is there. You just can't wait to be there and be with Him. Totally different, isn't it? Because we've been given that life. Secondly, this evangelical obedience is never spoken of as being of the law. It's always spoken of as being of faith. Of faith. And let's turn to the beginning of the book of Romans. He's going to start out this book by mentioning that. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. Paul's called an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5. Through whom... That is, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship. Everybody see that? Paul and that, his company received, through the Lord Jesus Christ, a ministry of grace and apostleship. Look at verse 5 again. To accomplish something. 
to bring about the what? The obedience to the law? The obedience that comes and proceeds out of what? Faith. Folks, faith is the channel by which we receive the grace and life of God. It's through the same channel that we obey. It's believing the promises. It's knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. It's knowing what God did in the Gospel. It's knowing how a man is justified by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. How that sanctification is occurring. All of that belief in the promise. Everybody following me? There's an obedience that flows out of that. Now there's also an obedience that flows out of the law. Wouldn't you agree? If I give you those laws and say, obey them. Well, you could choose to obey or not, but there is an obedience that's of the law. This is an obedience of faith. Okay, now go to the end of Romans. Romans chapter 16. We transverse all the way through our sinfulness. We've all been justified. We're now in His presence. We are being sanctified. And we come to the end of Romans, Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Probably the greatest benediction you could ever read. You could preach on this for months. Now to Him who is able to establish you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now manifested, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to what? Obedience of Faith. Everybody see that? The obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of this through the Gospel. The eternal purpose of God to the promised seed by the covenant of Abraham. Christ lives. His people live. We've been regenerated. We've been given of His Spirit, the Spirit of cruciform love, and now we minister that love one to another and exhibit the fruit of that Spirit as the down payment of what is coming, all because He lives. It's all because of Him. You don't read anything in here about going back and obeying a bunch of laws for this to happen. Now, is there an obedience? There is an obedience. And folks, it is an obedience to the risen Lord. 
Are you familiar with the Great Commission? Go. Who said that? The risen Lord. He's there right before their eyes in all of His glorified humanity. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He says to them, I want you to go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have I have commanded. Now folks, why didn't he say teaching them all that Moses commanded? I mean, that's Scripture, isn't it? He says, you go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even in the end of the world. And folks, here's something that our Lord commanded. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. Did you hear that? As I have loved you. So you start looking in your New Testament and you start seeing things like Peter saying, look, we're called to suffer. And Christ did this example. Look at Him. He didn't revile. Did He? So you don't revile. What's He doing? You look at Him and you see God in all of His fullness and glory. You see the Word manifested. You see the exegesis of God. And you say, okay, He didn't revile when He was reviled. So the Spirit of God inside of me says, now you're going to walk the same way. You're changed as you behold who? Him in the pages of your Bible. This is the new covenant. And folks, that is a blessing because we're going to do this table right here. And do you know what Paul says? Paul said, I'm giving you what I have received. Received from who? The risen Christ. The same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. The same night in which He was betrayed, He took the symbols. I'm giving you this from the risen Christ. That is part of His commandment for believers. Just like baptism. He said that, did He not? And folks, that takes us lastly to Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages. lived his whole life trying to be righteous. And he gave all that up. He counted it as garbage 
That's a genteel word for the Greek word. He counted his dung. And he says in verse 7, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as laws for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from what? The law. That's not the righteousness I want. But that righteousness which is through faith in who? Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. For this reason, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. <coughs> Folks, I'm going to make a statement. I, and I hesitate to make the statement because your sinful nature is going to want to take it places where I'm not intending to take it. So just listen in light of these passages. My great ambition is not to know right and wrong. My great ambition is not to know what's right and wrong. My great ambition is to know Him. Does everybody hear that? That's a totally different approach to your Bible. Now, He does tell us what's right and wrong, does He not? And He does illustrate it, and we have the Old Testament as wisdom to support all that. But that's not why I live. That's, that's the way I lived when I was a lost person. I just want to know, tell me what's right, tell me what's wrong, and I'll feign doing right. Okay? I want to know Him. And folks, a person who says that can only say that because they love Him. And they can only say they love Him because they have been born from above. Something has changed inside of them by the grace of God through the Gospel. And this is what Paul says. I counted all those things in my Jewish heritage I just said, they're gone. <laughs> they don't mean anything to me anymore. I counted all those things as loss for His sake. But then He goes on and says, more than that, I even count all the non-Jewish things as loss. Because of the surpassing value, listen to that, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you hear his heartbeat? Do you hear his ambition? 
And he'll say in 2 Corinthians, I have this great ambition. I just want to please him. Folks, people who say that say it because they love the person they want to please. I know things that my wife enjoys. I don't always enjoy all the things that she enjoys. Like walking around the women's section looking at clothes. But I do it joyfully. Why? Why? I want to be with her. Yes? Well, that's strange. Why would you want to be with her? I love her. And I've spent over 40 years of marriage trying to get to know her. Impossible. <laughs> no, really, it is possible. But. but folks, that is a microcosm to my desire to know Christ. I want to know Him. I want to behold Him. I really, I say this because I really desire it, but I know in my flesh I would ruffle against it. I really do want to count everything but loss for the excellency of that knowledge. I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness based on me doing right or wrong. I want to be found in Him, a righteousness based on faith in the promises about Him. That's the gospel. And when I know Him, He does have commandments. And He does have exhortations. And He does have encouragements. Doesn't He? And they're written down in our New Testament. Every moral law in the law is given in the New Testament in the framework of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord, except for one. What is it? The Sabbath. Why is that? Because He rose on the first day. And that's when we meet. What do I say? Shall I continue in sin because I'm not under the law but under grace? Romans? God forbid! How can you, who were once slaves to sin, but you've been freed, how can you even think that way? That's the way Paul argues. Because life has been given. And love has been given from God. Not that we loved Him, but He first loved us and gave us of His Spirit. That is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of love. Let's bow our heads as we prepare.